I was thinking back on the various events of my life that I have thought uh, for good or for ill defined me uh, as a person. When I left ministry in 1987, I left four small churches in Georgia, and when I announced to them that I was leaving, um, and I was leaving ministry altogether, there was a, a kind of a shock uh, because they could not imagine. Now, at the time, I was trying to save what I imagined uh, would uh, a relationship, my uh, first marriage, and it didn't work out. It still didn't work out despite, uh, despite leaving ministry and considering becoming a lawyer and applying to law school, all those dances. Um, I, I did not end up doing that. As you know, for 29 years I've been here. So uh, clearly um, that was a moment. For a number of years though, after 1987, I thought it defined me as a failure. A failure at life. Uh, and I let that be the shaping principle behind who I understood myself to be. James the failure. Uh, uh, you know, each one of the people we're talking about during the Lenten season leading up to uh, um, Easter, which is the six weeks leading up to Easter, the season of preparation, each of the six people or groups of people could have a title attached to the end of them. Our first week, we looked at Pontius Pilate, Pilate the executioner, Pilate the judge. Last week, religious people, the accusers, the liars, uh, the win-at-all-costers, whatever uh, group it may be. Um, this week, Peter. And we could call him Peter the denier. Uh, but we're not going to. Or maybe we are. Uh, we'll see as I read to you a piece of the scripture lesson. Now this is his part. The sermon series is built around the part people played in the crucifixion. What they're remembered for related to that. The religious people were remembered for accusing Jesus falsely, but ultimately convincing Pilate, the executioner and judge, to sentence him to death on the cross. Now, Peter is most well known. Uh, he hung out at the Last Supper with Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, I'm going to be betrayed and handed over, and you all are going to desert me. And Peter says, even though everybody else deserts you, I will never leave your side, more or less. Uh, I can almost hear those words, and even in that inflection from Peter's mouth, However, then the real events unfold. Jesus is captured at night, and everybody scatters. Peter follows at a distance, and we pick up with Peter in Mark chapter 14, verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But Peter denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you are talking about. 
And he went out into the courtyard. Then the cock crowed. And the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you're talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for a second time. Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Have you ever thought about all those wonderful uh, defining moments in a person's life? Think about it. Even the disciples, among the disciples, Every single time I mention the disciple Thomas, what do you think of? Doubting Thomas, Thomas the doubter. In scripture, every time Judas is mentioned, by the way, he's our topic for next week, but every time Judas is mentioned, there's a comma after his name, Judas, who betrayed him. That's his whole claim to fame, I'm Judas. Not that he did anything else, followed Jesus in any way. Apparently his whole purpose in being called was just so he could be a betrayer. That's how we remember him in history. Next week we'll talk about him. But Peter, I've never heard anybody walk around and say, oh, you're talking about Peter the denier, aren't you? No one ever says that. I've never met anyone who would say that. Now, some of you might say that because, of course, I've said it multiple times and it's become your impressionable minds. If it's anything like mine, you you get a song stuck in there, you get a phrase stuck in there, and it just keeps popping up, whether you want it to or not. Peter the denier, Peter the denier. So let's talk about Peter for just a moment. First of all, his name wasn't Peter. His name was Simon. That's what his name was. That was his given name. Jesus gave him a new name, a nickname, if you will, Peter, which means rock. Now, that sounds like a great name for somebody who is firm, who's a foundation, who will stand firm on what he does. When he speaks his word, his word is true. Well, (laughs) if the gospels are in any way true, um, and I suspect they are, by the way, Peter wasn't always a rock. Peter wasn't always the firm foundation. Jesus tells a wonderful story at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, where he says, a wise man builds his house upon the rock, and and a foolish man builds his house upon the sand. Because when you build a house on the rock, when the rains come and the floods come, the house stands firm. If you build it on the sand, it just washes away. So you get the sense of what Jesus understood the rock to be all about, a firm, solid place on which you could build something. And he even says about Simon, when he renames him Peter, on you, I will lay the foundation of the church. You're you're a rock. Well, I'm not feeling rock right now when I read this story about uh, Peter the denier. What I see is someone who runs away at the first, and when he gets caught, he denies it. Listen, 
if you've ever been a parent and you come into a room, there's one person in that room, a small person, and something is on the floor broken. That wasn't on the floor broken when you left the room. And somebody else did it. It was always somebody else. There were things I came into the room when Hannah was in the room by herself. Her imaginary friend broke it. It just fell off. Uh, you know, same thing with Josh, when Josh was by himself. We are always quick to point our fingers somewhere else to deny our involvement. And Peter, in that moment, let fear win. It wasn't just one moment for Peter. It was three times in the same night. It wasn't just like every once in a while you let a white lie slip. It's like you've got a fixed white lie and you tell it once and then you tell it twice and then you tell it a third time with impunity by the time you tell it the third time. So much impunity that you curse when you, th you throw in a good, you know, curse word in there so people know you're really serious. You know, Simon was, after all, a, a fisherman. So he probably knew some good words, good solid words out there on the boat. But his name wasn't even Peter. He got renamed Peter because Jesus saw something in him that was bigger than Peter might have even seen in himself when he only saw himself as Simon. Now, I don't know what Jesus saw in him that qualified him to become a foundation for the church. He was just a rough fisherman. I don't know what God exactly sees in me to call me to do this kind of work as a pastor, but that's what God did. I mean, the truth is, it's not about qualifications, it's what God can call up in us, bring up in us, season us. God loves us into the person God knew we could always be. And even in his denial, Peter is not thrown away by Jesus. Jesus and God and the Spirit, the Trinity, never defined Peter by that denier piece, by the fact that he abandoned Jesus and denied him. Peter went on to be a leader of the church. There is no comma after Peter's name uh, every time, because it would be a lot of commas in the Gospels if there was a comma after Peter's name every time, the one who denied him. And Peter, got out of, Peter, the one who denied him, got out of the boat and walked on the water. Later, Peter took his eyes off, Peter, the one who denied him, took his eyes off Jesus and sunk. First of all, make the Gospels, you know, about, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 words longer every time. Peter was not defined by his denial. But like all of us, he made mistakes and he failed. Peter failed. Peter imagined that he could do anything. And he even made promises he knew he, he, he didn't know he could keep. And when he did, he failed. But that didn't become the final word for Peter. That was not the final word of Peter's life. He broke down and wept when he remembered 
Whoops. Jesus said I'd do this three times before the cock crowed twice. Three times. And he did. And he was horrified. But I never see in the rest of Peter's life, and there's only short pieces in the gospel, but he appears uh, with regularity in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And then, heck, there's two books that are entitled after his name, First and Second Peter. Uh, the truth is, that didn't become his defining moment. There was more to him. God saw it, and Peter lived into it. Now, Peter certainly had foibles and challenges. Uh, I mean, he is the traditional extrovert par extraordinaire. You know why? Silence never worked for that boy. If there was a moment of silence, he had to speak up. I have taught Bible studies. I have taught Bible studies, and I've had to caution the extroverts in the group to just shut up. Now, I didn't use that word because then I would be in timeout for a long period of time. I would say, listen, I know you extroverts, your first response, I'm an extrovert, Lord knows. Your first response is going to be, if there's silence, to say something. The first thing that comes to your mind or something that you've planned to say or anything to cover the silence because you're uncomfortable with that silence. But I want you to sit with that silence. I can tell you, Peter must have learned silence. And the reason I say that is because his life as an apostle, as a sent one later on, becomes a whole different story of a man who lives into God's dreams for him and becomes the planter of the church at large. He became the rock. He wasn't the rock when Jesus called him the rock. He was, kind of, he was kind of the sand. But Jesus saw the rock in him, and he became the rock. Part of that, I am convinced, was his silence. So when we look at this Peter guy, what do we learn? And what can we take away for ourselves today? When I look at him, I am impressed that one thing doesn't have to define me. My failure in 1987, my failure in 1988, my failure all along the way, none of those define me. On the other side of that, neither do my successes. I am not my greatest success. I'm more than that. Because success and failure aren't the way God measures us. Aren't you lucky? Aren't we lucky? And it's beyond luck. Aren't we graced that God doesn't measure us by our success and failures? That we are not measured either as... Uh, let me tell you, if you've been listening to me long enough, you know I've preached some really good sermons, and I've re really preached some terrible sermons. <laughs> I've walked away and thought, oh my gosh, no one will ever come back to church after that one. I was all over the place. There was nothing in that. God can even use those. I am not going to be defined this afternoon by revisiting what I said or didn't say this morning. I'm not. It may be the best sermon I've ever preached. I don't know. It could be the worst sermon I've ever preached. 
I don't know. Chances are much better that it's somewhere in between. <laughs> but I'm not defined by this sermon. I'm not defined by my last Bible study that I taught. I'm not defined by the way I lead soul space or by the way I lead centering prayer. I'm not defined by the time I got up this morning, whether I succeeded or failed to follow my alarm, whether the bread turned out all right when I baked it this morning. I'm not defined by any of those things. I am only defined by the love of God who sees in me all the possible uh, ways I could be his and all the ways I might live into that. God sees potential. And to God right now, I am infinitely precious and unconditionally loved just as I am right now. And it's only because of that that I can move into a future that God will do with me what God needs to do, whatever that is, if I let myself be God's tool if I let myself. Peter broke down and wept after he realized his failure. But he got back up from weeping. And he moved into a future where God used him. Some of you right now are feeling defined by the failures of your life. Some of you are feeling defined by a success that was so long ago you've almost forgotten it and you are trying to live into that success again. It's gone, it's gone. Just like the failure, it's gone, it's gone. Do not let those things define you. God sees you as you are now through a lens that you can only imagine, the lens of love. The lens of love and if that's God's rose-colored glasses, so be it. That's the way God sees you. Warts and all. And still loves you without condition. You are infinitely precious. I say it over and over again because I don't believe you believe it. Sometimes I don't. But you need to. Your worst failure your biggest success will never define who you are in God's eyes. Only love will. Peter is proof of that. Simon Peter is proof of that. He wasn't a rock when Jesus named him that. He became a rock because of the love of God. You can be whoever God needs you to be because of the love of God. Now, if you want to call him Simon the denier, Peter the denier, I suspect in eternity, Peter doesn't really care anymore. <laughs> call him whatever you want to. Because in the end, what defines him is love. Not your labels, not my labels. And what defines you it's not your labels of yourself or anybody else's, except for God's. You are precious, loved, unconditionally, infinitely, just where you are. Don't forget that. Don't be defined by whatever you imagine defines you. 
unless it's love, infinite love. That's how Peter got back up. <laughs>